0: Scripture reading tonight will come from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? You're with us this morning. You realize that we we talked about having a stronger and deeper faith—a faith that that believes not just in a sense that it it comes to a mere mental assent, but rather that it shows, is evident in our lives, that it's that it's something that can be seen and is based upon the things that we recognize, the things that we do believe internally and mentally, but that we do those things that are evident of the fact that we actually believe those things, that our life is transformed, our life is changed. It shows that it's not just straddling the fence, but rather it's real and clear. But what about times when doubts arise? What about the times when even those that might be considered as faithful have doubts? Perhaps one of the most faithful men in the New Testament, the one perhaps that, that Jesus' deity and his authority before anyone else. John the Baptist was a man who was devoted to trailblazing for Jesus. He lived a life of discomfort, a life of persecution for the sake of the name of Jesus. And then later on, we even find him standing before Herod and proclaiming to him that it was unlawful for him to have his brother's wife in Matthew chapter number 14. And in that chapter, it's revealed for us that John loses his life for the sake of the truth, for the sake of what is right. But I want us to consider this evening Matthew chapter number 11, in which it's recorded for us, if you'll open your Bibles there, in which it's recorded for us that this great man of faith, John the Baptist, it seems, has a moment of doubt, He's struggling with some troubling questions in his mind. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of John the Baptist this evening. What's going through your mind if you've been placed in prison for standing up to a ruler and telling them that they are living in sin? And when you're in prison and all along you thought that Jesus was going to perhaps be the deliverer of Israel, that maybe when Jesus doesn't deliver him, Maybe as the months passed, John may have started wondering if he had made a mistake. Maybe he started having second thoughts. Maybe things that he expected about Jesus and his ministry were different, and he might have been wondering, why am I still in prison? When is Jesus going to start the kingdom? When will I be released from prison? How, how does Jesus' ministry and, and him coming to earth as God in the flesh... How does that coincide with the fact that me as a Jew is I as a Jew am continuing to be oppressed? And so, read with me again, Matthew chapter number eleven, and verse number two. When John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, "Are you the coming one, or do we look for another?" And so it was at John's deathbed that it seems that he begins to wonder if Jesus was really going to be the one that would be the deliverer. It may very well be that that, that Jesus and his mission did not completely fulfill all of John's expectations. You think about what most Jews would have perhaps thought about the coming Messiah. Yes, John recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He, He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John chapter 1 verse 29. And he recognized Jesus as deity and he saw him as such, but in the minds of the Jews over the course of time, they had been oppressed through so many different regimes. You think about what would have happened and what did happen years and years before John came to this world. The Israelites were oppressed by Egypt and then they were delivered. But then as they go into the land of Canaan, they war against those that live there and they fight with them and they're oppressed by them and And then eventually, once they conquer the land and God gives it to them, they're again oppressed by the Babylonians as they bring them off and drive them out into exile. And then even beyond that, as they have to suffer under the Medo-Persian Empire. And then now as we come to the first century and John is living here in this particular case, the Jews are again oppressed. They're being controlled by the Roman Empire. And as you think about the Jews and what's going on in their minds, perhaps John the Baptist, like the rest of them, yes, again, recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, perhaps in his mind, he's wondering, well, why isn't Jesus doing what I thought he was going to do? Why isn't he delivering us? Why isn't he conquering those that are oppressing us? His doubts may have begun to arise because he may have wondered if Christ was capable or would ever render judgment on those that were oppressing him. But I submit to you this evening that struggling with troubling questions, it's like we lost it, struggling with troubling questions does not necessarily mean a sinful lack of faith. And I believe that based upon, and I want us to make sure that we understand this definition, that the definition of doubt that we're going with is is not what what some might consider just flat out disbelief but rather someone that is asking questions and wrestling with things that maybe they're trying to rationalize and deal with in their mind based upon what they're learning and seeing, maybe that they've never seen before or, or understood before. Again, John is a man of faith. And as we'll see from Jesus's response to this particular question from John, I believe that that John truly still had faith in Jesus, but he was wondering, he's questioning, he's asking Are the expectations that I have about the Messiah consistent with who you are as Jesus? And so consider this. (coughs) Consider Jesus' response to John in Matthew chapter number 11. What does he say? First, I want us to notice that that Jesus has and comes back to John with a response of reason. Notice what he says in verse number 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. In verse number five, he says, The blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I want us to consider that this first and foremost was a response of reason to John. It was a response of reason because I believe that Jesus, by alluding to these things, would have clued into John's mind a reminder of scripture, Turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter number 35, I want us to notice that much of what Jesus says here in response to John is very much found in Isaiah chapter 35 as well as we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 61 here in a moment. Isaiah chapter number 35 in, in a prophetic statement about the coming Messiah, notice what is said. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the inhabitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grasses with reeds and rushes. And so we see... This language of the eyes of the blind being opened, the ears of the deaf being unstopped. But turn your Bibles a few more pages to Isaiah chapter 61. In Isaiah chapter 61 in verse number 1, Scripture reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And so as we read those prophecies about Isaiah and we think about the fact that John dedicated his whole life to being a a trailblazer for Jesus. We think about this response of reason. I believe that when Jesus says these things to John or has them relayed back to John, he's using scripture to assuage the fears of John, to root him back into the words of Scripture is to ease some of his doubts. And so it's a response of reason. John, think about the fact that what I have done in healing these people is consistent with what Scripture has taught about the coming Messiah. But not only that, we could consider that John's uh, Jesus' response to John is a response of compassion. I want us to note that, that Jesus... And his response, it's, it's comforting. He points to his miracles and he assures John, using perhaps scripture. And it's also understanding. We don't find Jesus chiding John, nor rebuking him. Instead, he commends John to the others, as, as we would find later on in verse number 11. And I want us to take note that that Jesus doesn't, when John is having these doubts, immediately as we said, chide John or rebuke him, but rather he gives him a solid answer, a helpful answer, a compassionate answer. It doesn't seem to me that Jesus, in his understanding of John and John's faithfulness, is necessarily one to believe that John is in a sinful state at this point. And so it would behoove us as Christians to model our master and to think about what Jesus did in this particular case, and that is when other Christians are struggling maybe with doubts in their minds, that we need to act like Jesus, give them a response of reason, point them to Scripture, but also be understanding and compassionate, and realize that doubts inherently aren't necessarily sinful, that questioning and asking things and trying to reason about things is not necessarily wrong. We'll talk more later on about when I believe it does become wrong, but I want us to understand the Bible doesn't necessarily indicate that doubt is inherently wrong in and of itself. But consider also the fact that Jesus' response to John was also a response that contained testimony. He says to these particular individuals, go back and tell John. Tell John the things which you hear and see. Jesus could have written a letter to John. He could have written down the things that John needed to hear and then them then have been silent to the other individuals. But John, Jesus uses John's disciples to go back and communicate these things to John. We don't know exactly what all John had seen Jesus do, exactly when in the timeline of Jesus' ministry that John was imprisoned. But you, you know who had seen these things? His own followers, John's own followers, And Jesus' response, again, is not a letter, but rather he asked the disciples of John to go back and tell John all the things that that they had seen. You know what this tells me is that sometimes other people can help me with my doubts. Because other people may have seen things that I might not have seen. Whether that be about scripture or what they believe, providentially God working through their lives in retrospect and looking back with hindsight. And so I believe that as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that as other brothers and sisters in Christ are dealing with doubts and struggling with difficult questions maybe in their mind, that if they would but just lean upon their brothers and sisters and ask them questions and, and dig for answers, that other brothers and sisters in Christ can be helpful to us in those difficult circumstances. We also find a response of gentle correction Jesus' response corrects any misconceptions perhaps that that John might have had about Jesus' work here on this earth. That it wasn't that Jesus came necessarily to deliver those Jews from oppression from from the Romans. But rather that Jesus was concerned about those that were dealing with ailments and those that were poor having the gospel preached to them. That he was concerned about the individual and not some spectacular display of of political deliverance. And so, Jesus' response is one of reason, of compassion, a response that contained testimony, but also of gentle correction. And so, as we think about this, and, and faithful people sometimes having doubts, I want us to consider next some and identify some root causes of doubt. Sometimes it's good for us to stop and ask the question when doubt crops up in my mind, when I'm dealing and struggling with difficult questions, and, and maybe I'm, I'm wondering about certain things, consider these per, perhaps some of these root causes of doubt. Think about insecurities, the feeling of insecurity, primarily the fear of death. And by insecurity, I don't mean you feel self conscious about maybe what other people think about your weight or, or the clothes you're wearing or whatever that may be. What I'm talking about here is insecurity, not feeling safe, not feeling safe, particularly when it comes to maybe the fear of death. When you think about Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 31, when Peter walks out on the water to meet Jesus, and then he sinks down in the water because he looks at the waves about him. Jesus says to him, he stretches out his hand and catches him and says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt in this particular case, no doubt it was because, no doubt it was because of what uh, Peter was seeing around him. What Peter was seeing around him and the waves and the, the, the storm that, that was there. And he feared for his own life. But not only that, as we think about this idea of a feeling of insecurity, but also what we might call an unhealthy diet. And again, not a, not a physical diet, but rather what we put into our minds. Do you have a history of listening to and thinking about things that are not good? And I'm not talking about necessarily sinful things that are inherently sinful, but rather things that have to do with the news cycle, have to do with what's going on in the world. Perhaps you're dealing with doubt, maybe because the only thing that you're putting into your mind is garbage. You know, as they say, right, garbage in, garbage out. You are what you eat and you feel how you think. Philippians chapter four and verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think, meditate on these things. Maybe doubt has arisen in your mind at times because all that is coming into your mind is this happened in this country and then our president is doing that and fill in the blank of anything that's on the usual news cycle and maybe doubts are arising in your mind about where is God? Why is he allowing these things to happen? Or rather, if you would but just spend more time in the things of God's word, perhaps maybe some doubts might be alleviated. Not only that, maybe number three, loss and fear of loss. You think about luke chapter 24 the loss of a loved one verse number 38 he said to them why are you troubled why do doubts arise in your hearts as jesus finds them after his death and they're they're sad about his death and understandably so but in this case it had led to doubt in their minds and maybe it is the case that at times you've lost something or someone of value to you and that has caused you to deal with doubt but even beyond that, perhaps ignorance about God and his word. Sometimes as we think about what, what happens in people's minds with regard to doubt, it may very well be that they're doubting because they don't understand what the Bible actually teaches. Or they're doubting because they don't actually understand who God is and what the Bible says about him. You think about Matthew chapter 25 and verse 24 in the parable of the talents in which the one talent man went and buried his talent instead of going out and investing it and and turning a profit for his master, this is what he says. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. The problem with this guy's thought process, the doubt that he had in his mind was because he, he wasn't thinking right about God and he didn't truly know accurately about God, at least God being represented in this particular parable. And so sometimes doubt can come from ignorance about God and his word. And then even beyond that, as we think about Hebrews chapter number 11, new experiences can cause doubt in our minds. You think about sometimes when we're grappling with something that we've never experienced before. I'm not talking about maybe like a child walking, you know, for the first time. I'm talking about things that that have gone on in our lives and things that we're having to experience because we've never experienced them before doubts begin to crop up and and cause us to think things that are different but not only that we think about hebrews chapter 11 and all those in the hall of fame of faith as we call it sometimes as they dealt with god asking them to do things that they had never experienced before you think about noah being asked to build an ark even though he'd never seen rain never seen a flood and yet this new experience, he still trusted in God, still had faith in him. But I wonder if maybe something in his mind at times, may, maybe he battled in his mind about whether this is something that was rational or sane. He's building a boat, but he still trusted in God is ultimately the, the, the lesson to learn from Noah. But still, as you look all through Hebrews chapter 11 and Abraham being asked to offer his, sac- his son as a sacrifice, and Joseph as he was somebody that that had to forsake the pleasures of sin that, that he had at his disposal and chose rather to suffer for God, someone who is enduring these new experiences. And so it reminds me, it reminds me even of what Habakkuk was told by God whenever he asked God Why are you going to continue to allow us to be oppressed and persecuted? And God's response was, I'm going to send the nation of Babylon. And as we'll talk more here in just a moment, this particular case for Habakkuk would have been a startling response from God. What do you mean you're going to use another nation to destroy us in this sense because of the fact that that we are no longer uh, following you as we should And that is somehow going to produce in us more faithfulness. But Habakkuk was told, the just shall live by faith. Trust me, God says to Habakkuk. And so what doubts sometimes are there that arise even today? Maybe, Maybe you, even in your life, have asked the question, when is the Lord going to return? Or why is he continuing to allow evil to persist? Why do even some people that are evil why are they allowed to prosper? Is God really who he says he is? Is sin really that big of a deal? Is it really all that bad? Are are all of these questions inherently sinful? I, I don't necessarily know that they are. I don't necessarily believe that they are, but it can become sinful. And sure, we'll explain that more here in just a moment. But but these things may be questions that, that crop up in our minds at times, things we're wondering about and struggling with. So the question then is, so when does it become sinful to struggle with doubt? Again, maybe I need to reemphasize that struggling with troubling questions does not necessarily mean a lack of faith. We're, we're not talking about doubt here tonight that is flat out disbelief in a, in a kind of brazen way. What's more, I believe that a person who never has any doubts is reasonable to view them as someone who in a way may even have a bit of a shallower faith than someone who who never has doubt. By that I mean when someone who has struggled with doubt on a regular basis continues to say, yeah, but I'm going to serve the Lord anyway, I'm going to trust the Lord anyway, they're declaring a conquering of that doubt that has been plaguing them. Whereas someone else who just accepts things maybe at face value and never has to wrestle with doubt, never actually questions and asks deep questions, I don't know that that faith is any better than another faith that, that is struggling with these things and asks these things and yet still overcomes them and conquers them. Don't misunderstand. I, I recognize that Jesus admonished the apostles for their doubts, their lack of faith at times. What we're talking about here is an individual whose mind may run away with certain things at times, but yet they still have the mental fortitude to say, no matter what or even if I'm still going to serve God. It reminds me of Joshua when he said, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if it meant that all the rest of the people were not going to serve God, and he wondered about that maybe in his mind, whether he was doing the right thing. Instead, he says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But even more, as we just referenced Habakkuk a moment ago, at the end of the book, Habakkuk says these amazing words. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says, yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk says, God... I don't necessarily understand how you're going to use Babylon to make us a more faithful people. But even if it means that when Babylon comes and destroys us and there's no blossoms on the fig tree, no fruit on the vines, no no cattle in the stalls, he says, I will take joy, yet even still I will rejoice in the Lord. It's not sinful to struggle with doubt sometimes in your life. It's only sinful to surrender to that doubt to give in and say I give up as we close consider some benefits of doubtless faith some benefits of doubtless faith Matthew chapter 21 and verse 21 Jesus says assuredly I say to you if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what was done to the fig tree but also if you say to this mountain be moved and cast into the sea it will be done And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. When we have doubtless faith, when we continue to overcome these doubts and, and be individuals that trust God no matter what, there are endless possibilities that come with that. Also in James chapter 1 and verse number 6, the Bible says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When we strive to have a doubtless faith, when we work to overcome those doubts and we try to eradicate them from our lives, we no longer have to be tossed to and fro based upon the things that we're thinking about, but rather when we focus on what God has said in his word, as we'll talk about in a moment, it helps us to have a firm footing. So many people deal with anxiety and depression in so many cases. Yes, some because of clinical difficulties, And and we understand that in those cases, perhaps they need some medication and things to help them, maybe talking with a psychiatrist, whatever that might be. But some people, they're dealing with those things because of sin in their life. Maybe they're dealing with those things in this case for our purposes tonight because they're not focused on the Word of God enough. They're not thinking on things that are good and and, and, and holy and right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, as we referenced a moment ago. And so when we strive to have doubtless faith because we've considered what God has said, we've considered who he is, it gives us more firm footing. But also consider that a blessing, a benefit of doubtless faith is a commendation from Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so as we close, consider dealing with doubt. The first two, as we've already begun to mention earlier, what Jesus did with his response to John and his moment of doubt or weakness, as we might say, is he points him back to God's word. Maybe you're dealing with and struggling with doubt. You'll find that the Bible speaks for itself. The questions that you have, it has answers for. We're not talking about the questions about you know, where did Cain get his wife or, or, you know, things like that. We're talking about matters of consequence, things that you really are struggling with. God's word will answer those questions. Second Peter chapter one, verse three, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ. As we said a moment ago, Jesus uses John's disciples to report back to John the things that they had seen and heard. And this would have helped John in his doubts to confirm for him that this was the Messiah. That this was the one that was to come, that had come. And so as you think about the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have around you this evening, when you're struggling with doubt, lean upon one another. Hear from one another about the things that you've experienced, the things that you've seen in the word of God. And those things will be helpful to you. You can also think back, reflect and remember. Think back to what God has done in your life already up to this point. How he has provided for you. How he has saved you. How he has done the things for you in your life that is necessary. We're not talking about giving you this great financial benefit. We're talking about the things of of a spiritual nature. And then ultimately, ultimately, What I believe is a a very important solution in dealing with doubt is don't ignore mountains of evidence because of molehills of doubt. We talk about this sometimes from an apologetic standpoint. You know, maybe we don't understand exactly all the intricacies of how God created the world, but we can't ignore all the evidences for his existence. And so it is the case when it comes to matters of spiritual questions. When maybe we, we wonder and we ask, when the Bible gives you an answer, And it's a thorough answer, something that's helpful. Don't continue to allow those little molehills of doubt to fester in your mind. Because they will sometimes be able to overcome you. But don't surrender to them. And so this evening, when you're struggling with those doubts, when you're struggling with those difficulties, when you need the help of other brothers and sisters in Christ... How can we know that you're struggling with those things unless you tell us? You know, the tradition that we have of of walking the aisle to the front is, is a tradition not to shame you, not in any way, but rather because we want you to allow those things to be made known to us so that we can pray for you and help you. But you don't have to walk the aisle. You know that there's elders that, that go back to the back all the time, and maybe you don't want to stand before the congregation and confess that you're dealing with, with a particular struggle or a difficulty. Go back and, and confess those things to an elder and ask them to pray for you because they can help you. We can all help you. But let it be known this hour tonight that if you're struggling with things, walking the aisle is something in which you'll be embraced by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to help you So if there's anything that we can do for you tonight, we ask that you come as together we stand as we sing.